Welcome to the Joe Schmo Theology Podcast, where we discuss confessions. I ain't confessing nothing! Reformed theology. I don't know what either of those words mean. And apologetics. I am not apologizing for anything either. I am your host, Adam D. Murray, and joined with me today on this program is my brother, Aaron D. Murray. Aaron, how you doing, man? I'm good. A little sleepy, but I'm a little good. sleepy. Yeah, me too. Me too. We gotta be energized. I'm, gotta, I'm pumped. I'm ready to do fun. this. Let's All go. Right. Episode three. Episode three. Talking about Calvinism today, but first, how was how was your last couple weeks? Okay, a lot happened. Okay, so I'm gonna give you some options. Hmm. Do you want to hear about my three year anniversary and what I did with my wife? Yeah. Or wait, wait, hold, on. hold on. I mean, let me finish. Okay, go ahead. So there's that. Or you could hear about my trip to Kansas City. Or you to Kansas City. I did. That's why we that's why we do this. To hang out, to talk, to catch up. Alright, cool. My trip to Kansas City, or do you want to hear about the uh, experience I had doing street evangelism during the gay pride parade and festival last week? A lot of things. A lot of things. So I can only hear about one of them? Well, yeah, because we don't I mean you can ask me later, but I don't want to like take everyone's time. Fair enough, fair enough. So how how did how did you manage to go on an anniversary trip when you have a kid? Like, that just seems like... Mom and Dad watched him. Oh, oh Mom and Dad did. Yes. Oh, because I thought that somebody had to step in and... Olivia took care of him. Oh, Oli- oh Olivia. Okay. Yes. It's good that you have, uh-huh. I have family, I have family. <laughs> around you. Oh, like... didn't you take care of him too? Oh, I did. You I did. did. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, well, you didn't really take care of him. I mean, you were just there a, while he slept. A little bit. Um, let's hear about... Let's hear about your street evangelism during okay. The, okay. the Pride Parade. So, um, it was crazy. I will tell you one story. I could tell you many. I could probably talk about this for two hours because okay. a lot a lot happened. Well, don't. I won't. <laughs> um, but it was pretty much everything you would imagine it being. Okay. Very hostile, a little bit a little bit creepy, a little scary at times. Um, there were vile, vile people there who were very upset at us. And hmm. they were looking, like, one lady was like, does anybody have any used tampons we can throw at these guys? <laughs> and... I prayed very hard, Lord, please, <laughs> please no. <laughs> Let there be no used tampons, please. Uh, but there was there was one particular um, interaction we had where the the guy that I was with, he was doing a lot of street preaching. Um, nothing like God hates fags. There there were those people out there, right? Um, but not our group, which was it was a little frustrating. They were there. They were not helping at all. Hurting your witness. Yes, yeah. very, very much so. Thanks, Westboro. Uh, um, they weren't Westboro. You don't know. I don't. Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, but there was this one, uh, these two ladies who were there, they were sisters, um, and they were just yelling at us the whole time while we were doing um, the street preaching and stuff. So the buddy I was with, he was doing street preaching. I was handing out people, or I was handing tracks out to people, and they were like, no one's listening to you, blah, 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 except for you, except for those people who were yelling that. <laughs> right. Um, but eventually the crowd died down. They just kept migrating into the festival, uh, but they stayed and they were talking to us. And we were, we were starting to have some actual decent conversation. Hmm. I mean, they were still very upset and hostile, but their, their questions were a little more genuine. Um, but as we were talking to them, uh, she, she expressed how she grew up in the church, um, a Methodist church, hmm. and how she was spiritually and emotionally abused there. Very, very much you know, like chauvinistic type hmm. of, your role is to wash dishes type hmm. of thing. Okay. And so I told her, I was like, I'm very, very sorry that that happened to you. Um, but we're here to tell people about Jesus and Jesus dealt with 
corrupt religious leaders all mm-hmm. the time. And um, he, he's someone who saves sinners, including religious people. Um, and she started to soften after that. <clears throat> but after, after that happened, this guy came and he was wearing this black brown robe. He had incense around his neck hmm. and he had like this crown type of thing on his head. <laughs> Interesting. And he was walking around with some, I don't know what the book was called, but it was like a satanic cult oh, type wow. of thing. So he literally like shoves me and the other guy I was with out of the way and starts reading the satanic book to her. And then she just, she kind of like started to jive with that. She's like, oh yeah, you know, swearing like, I'm into this. This is good stuff. You know, F Jesus and all, all kinds of crazy stuff. And then he finally left and we're like, repent, you heathen. But after that, she kind of got a little more hostile and left. But you could definitely sense a spiritual battle, spiritual warfare going on for that girl's soul. So I've been praying for a lot of you guys listening. If you want to pray for her as well. Um, I forget her name. Shame on me. But y- you could definitely tell that there was there was warfare hmm. for that girl's soul. Um, so that was probably the most positive <laughs> interaction yeah. that I had there. Yeah, it's tough. But there, there was a lot of other things. Um, a lot of people got a track. A lot of people heard the gospel. So God's word does not return void. Right. So th- there was that. It was, a, it was an interesting experience. I don't recommend it to everybody. Yeah. But it's definitely... Um, Sharing the gospel is always a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How's your week? Again, not nearly as, as eventful. You could have gone first. That, that's fine. Yeah, we really need to start doing that. <laughs> Let's lead off with me. <laughs> um, no, I had I've had a pretty good week filled with um, you know weddings and some get-togethers and things like that. But I uh, I did have a good opportunity to sit down with um, a kid in my small group. I work with the high schoolers at my church and. Um, just kind of work through some some things with him. It's good to catch up. Over the summer, it gets harder to <laughs> to interact with some of these kids. Yeah, so uh-huh. um, to be able to do that at McAllister's, plug for McAllister's, uh, it was a good it was a good time. So um, do you like their iced tea there? I love their iced it's tea. It's overrated. Oh, it's fantastic. It's okay. Well, the quality of it, sure, is it's pretty good. I mean, I like it. It's not too sweet like McDonald's. It's okay. But they give you these giant glasses. I know. I don't want to hear about what Kellis. I just want to know if you like their iced tea. Well, here's what you need to do. You want to you want to get your get your drink. You uh-huh. want to drink it, and then when you leave, ask for a refill with no ice. It'll be piping hot, but you just take that home and you put it in the fridge, and then you have a giant cold thing the next day. So you get your money's worth. Well, what if I want the iced tea now? Again, we we need to talk, we need to talk about your ability to abstain for a while. I mean, again. Well, the last first podcast we did, you're like, if I have time on my hands, I want to spend more money. You know, so oh, there's this whole okay. self restraint right. issue okay. that keeps coming. All right, up. I've got a, I'm a sinner. Themes, okay. themes. Well, anyway, so speaking of sinners, um, we're gonna talk about Calvinism today. How we're all totally depraved, and by God's grace, uh, He brings certain people to Himself by His mercy. Um, so what I want to lead off with, I, I want anyone who's listening to understand that we're not trying to demonize people who, uh, don't see yes, this we are. doctrine the same way. We well, totally are. Okay. <laughs> That's what you said before we started recording. Did we? You literally said, I want to demonize Armenians. Mm. Yes, I did. I did. I said that. No, I did not. Um, 
you're the worst. Uh, but anyway, so are the worst. so I grew up I grew up um, <laughs> under the the doctrine of free will, synergistic salvation, that kind of thing, and I I truly believe that God brought me to Himself. Um, in the midst of that. So we're not saying that people who are Arminian or Molinistic or Synergistic in some other way are not believers. Um, we're just saying that this is what we see in Scripture. This is what we, we believe to be um, the truth of God's Word. And so we want to we flesh that out for you because there's a lot that branches off from that that, um, that is important in how you, you walk daily, how you view grace. So um, just that little caveat there. But let's talk about the history of Calvinism, where to come from? What's, what's I going think it's on with interesting that, that you put that caveat there because <clears throat> after the Synod of Dort, which is where we get "quote unquote" tulip, they actually condemned Armenians as heretics. <laughs> believe it or not, which is kind of like okay, okay no, maybe a little far, <laughs> a, a, little, a little bit far. Um, so this happened around so 1610. You have this guy Jacob Arminius who actually died in 1610. He was the student disciple of Basil, who was the student disciple of John Calvin. Mm-hmm. So Arminius rejected um, Calvin's idea of predestination, his, his idea of God's sovereignty. And after he died, his disciples took his ideas and were like, well, let's start propagating this because we, we believe this is true. We believe this is what the Bible teaches. So they came up with five points. So these are called the five remonstrants, so the five points of the remonstrants. And they brought it before um, the church. And so the church at this time was either Catholic, um, Anabaptist, which could be anything, or um, you know, Protestant, Calvinistic type people. Not, not all of them were Presbyterians, but a lot of them were. Pretty much everybody at the Senate of Dora was. Right. Um, so during between 18 or um, 1610 and 1618, these ideas were starting to gain, gain traction and become more and more popular. So the church was like, all right, we need to get a synod together. So this was the very first and only international synod that had multiple, I guess, denominations. I don't know if they would call it that at the time, but different um, stripes of um, Christianity that was not Catholic and was not Anabaptist. So right. different reform stripes. So they come together um, for seven months. So this is a very long, drawn-out, extended period of time where these men, you know, 140, 150 men were, were there and they were speaking about, you know, what does the scripture teach? Do, do these guys have a leg to stand on? Let's look at this. Um, they all spoke Latin. That was the language that they spoke during the uh, whole entire synod, which I think is incredible. And in response to the five points of the remonstrance, we have the five points of Calvinism. So it was not called tulip at the time. Uh, nobody actually knows where that term came from. With the acrostic the acronym. Right, the, right. the acrostic. Uh, the best we can figure is it happened sometime in the 1700s here in America. But that's that's where we get the uh, Senate of Dort or the Canons of Dort, which were much more than just the five points of quote-unquote Calvinism. But that was the uh, big thing, and that's what it's known for. Hmm. Interesting. Yes. Excellent. So what would you say in just a brief summary statement what what is calvinism or also known as the doctrines of grace what are, what are the doctrines of grace uh the doctrines of grace the basic idea is that god is sovereign over his creation mm-hmm. so um it, it's more a soteriological system that is the study of salvation right so it, when we talk about the doctrine of grace or calvinism it's how it has to do with how people are saved so is it synergistic god and man working together 
or is it monergism or monergistic where God is doing the work right. and man is receiving? So um, that, that, that's the uh, basic idea. Okay, excellent. <clears throat> excellent. Um, yeah, so, so that is a very important distinction is, is God doing all the work? Is he responsible completely for man's salvation or does man play a part in it? Um, through a, a synergistic methodology, do they, you know, do they um, somehow by their will choose Christ? Like that's a work of man. So that's the idea of synergism versus monergism. So um, let's talk about Calvinism a little more in depth. We did in our first podcast kind of lay out what tulip was, what the acrostic was. Um, but I want to do that again and just kind of give more scriptural proofs this time because last time we just kind of gave you a brief overview and there could be possibly someone listening to this for the first time and ha- didn't go back to to uh, episode one. So um, the first one being total depravity, um, meaning what exactly? Uh, meaning that man <clears throat> is um, totally incapable of, of choosing God or his, his nature is completely corrupt. He's totally sinful. Right. Um, unable to do good. Okay. Essentially. Right. So man cannot please God in his sinful state, right? By nature, he is corrupt. Doesn't mean that he's committed every sin that could possibly be committed, but it means that sin has is so pervasive that it has taken every part of him to where his mind is now hostile towards God, um, where he is no longer has the ability to choose God. That's right. the do, thought. Do you want to um, just go into some scripture references here yeah. for a second? So um, Adam and Eve were not <coughs> totally depraved. Right. Agreed. Um, it wasn't until the fall where, where they were. So so God says this to Adam. This is Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Hmm. So Adam and Eve ate the fruit. We've talked about this before. And they didn't die on the spot. So when God says you will surely die, he's speaking of um, physical death, but more importantly, to, to what we're talking about it's it's uh spiritual death hmm. so adam and eve die spiritually right so they, they disobey they eat the forbidden fruit um and they have spiritual death on the whole entire race so this is what we call original sin so this is romans five twelve. therefore just as sin came into the world through one man adam and death through sin so death spread to all men because all sinned yeah that's the passage i was looking so, for last, well, last we, podcast. and we read it we talked about it but but that's that's the idea of original sin it, it's right. it's that we're all corrupted by by sin so right. from from the moment of conception and paul ta- or david sorry not paul talks about this in psalm 51 5 behold i was brought forth in iniquity and in my sin did my mother conceive me mm-hmm. and in psalm 58 3 the wicked are estranged from the womb <laughs> They go astray from birth, speaking lies. So from the very get-go, at conception, sin, boom, corrupted. Yep. Um, you've got uh, this idea that, that uh, we're born in sin, we are naturally, spiritually dead. Um, Jesus taught that anybody um, must be born again if they were to enter God's kingdom. We'll, we'll get to that a little bit. We've got the idea of man being, um, his mind being dark and corrupt. This is Genesis 5-6. Uh, just before the flood then the lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually Hmm. and then you've got the flood and god wipes out you know pretty much everybody and you've got noah and his family his sons his son's wives his wife and then this is genesis 8 21 so this is right after they get off the boat the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth so they're still still evil and so there's there's multiple scripture references that we could talk about that have to do with um, man being evil. Jeremiah seventeen nine. The heart is deceitfully right. wicked above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
Ecclesiastes 9.3, the hearts of children of men are full of evil and madness in their hearts while they live. And, and we could just go on and on. Yeah, yeah. A um, couple ones that I generally would point to um, would be Colossians 1, I believe it's 24. I'm just going to rattle this off here. Forgive me if I'm wrong. But it says, while you were alienated and hostile in mind, God brought you to himself. So while you're alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he brought you to himself. So that's the state that we were in. Um, Romans 3 you know, talks extensively about <laughs> the fact that no one does good, no one seeks God, no one is righteous, no, not one. They have all turned aside. They have all chased after other things. Um, and it's interesting that Paul Paul puts that there in Romans 3, because if you read Romans 1 and 2, the entire you know case that he's making is that man is corrupt. And I think he puts that little passage in there, quoting from Isaiah, I believe, it is where he talks about no one seeking God, no one doing what is good. I think he puts that there to dismantle any mm -hmm. remaining thought that there might be some good left in man. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, Romans 8, he goes on to talk about the mind that is set on flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, right? So those who are in the flesh, that's all of us who are born, um, apart from Christ, cannot please God. So not only can we not choose God, but we can't even please him with our actions, right? So everything that we do in one way or another, even good, quote-unquote, good deeds, are for our own glory, for our, you know, to, right. to some degree. So Well, and even <clears throat> even let's say that you, you try to do something good um, and, and your intentions are, for the most part, completely pure. This is, this is an analogy that I use with uh, the youth group at church. Um, just picture you, you've got some Skittles in your pocket right. and, you, and you're walking your dog. And your dog does what dogs do um, and it uh, defecates on the ground. So you have to pick that, that defecation up. So you pick it up, you got nowhere to put it, so you put it in your pocket with all those Skittles. Fun. Okay. So it's, that's tragic for all those Skittles because Skittles are delicious. Yeah. Nobody wants to taste the rainbow now. Yeah, no. So let's say you see your buddy, <laughs> you pull out those Skittles. Those Skittles are perfectly fine, except... They're completely corrupt. They're, they've got the, the feces all over them. Right. And, and that's what our good works are to Christ. So when we offer up our, our good works to Christ, it says, the Bible says, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Right. So that's that's the idea of when we do something that's quote unquote good, it is so tainted and corrupted by sin, God doesn't even want anything to do with it. It's disgusting to him. Right. So this is this is the cornerstone, I, I think, for the doctrines of grace. If man somehow was not dead in his trespasses, like Ephesians 2 says, then he would still have some life in him. He could still maybe possibly choose Christ. The fact that he's dead in his trespasses and sins, right? The fact that he doesn't seek God, that he's hostile towards God, means that first God has to do a regenerating work in his life. Right. So... So we, we can't do it on our own. So Job 14.4, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? There is not one. Jeremiah 13.23, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also, can you do good who are accustomed to do evil? Hmm. Um, and and yeah, let's see here. There's, there's plenty of other passages, but we're already, what, almost 20 yeah. minutes in, so let's yeah. keep going. Yeah. All right. Um, so unconditional election. Um I don't know how much scripture proof you want to do on this, but this is just the idea that nothing in and of yourself, right? No merit that you have, no good looks or talents or um, abilities that you have earns your, your salvation before Christ. There's nothing that you can do that will earn your status. Right. Not only that, 
but it also means that God is not looking down the quarters of time to see whether or not you will choose him. That's another thing we're going to get into later. It's not conditional upon a future decision that you would make in Christ. So there's, there's literally nothing that you can contribute to your salvation. The only thing that you contribute to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. Right. So um, just one passage right here that just talks about God be the one who chooses. This is Matthew eleven twenty seven. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So you've got the idea of God and the Father and the Spirit working together to choose and elect. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then you've got Mark thirteen twenty, which talks about um, election is not based on forcing response. So it says, this is Mark thirteen twenty. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. Mm-hmm. But for the sake of the elect whom He chooses, He shortened the days. Hmm. Um, then you've got Ephesians 1, 4. What passage was that? This was Mark 13, 20. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So then you've got uh, the idea of God choosing people before the foundations of the world were even set. This is Ephesians 1, 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Yeah. So so you've got that. You you take it from there. I mean, do you want to talk about Romans 9? Uh, we can uh we we probably should on a on a podcast like this um but you're talking about the idea that that god chooses a particular person or particular people for himself Um, well chooses them before they even do anything so it's not that we do something to merit election right it's that we're either elect or not before the foundation of the world so what i was Referring to Romans 9 when God says, you know, before Jacob and Esau were even born, Jacob I loved, but Esau hated. Right. That's verse uh, verse 13 where it says, Jacob I loved, Esau and hated. I'm just going to go ahead and start reading in verse 11. Yeah. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad. So that's key. They were not yet born and done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. That's a very clear statement, right? That before the foundation of the world, before you could have even screwed anything up, like God had chosen you um, based off of no merit, no works of yourself. Right. And that's a hard that's a hard passage, guys. I mean, if this is something that you're hearing for the first time, I don't expect to change your mind on a podcast. But what I want to do is is put a stone in your shoe, like uh, Greg Kokel would say, and make you think about it and start pursuing this for yourself. Because I wrestled with this doctrine for several years before I came around to it. Um, just because I think for uh, for all of us that we're a product of the teaching that we're under at times, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so it's hard growing up with presuppositions and then being introduced to what Scripture actually says about salvation. So when you read passages like Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated, we're going to talk about that a little bit more as well. Um, but it, it's a hard it's a hard passage. But um, yeah, I just wanted to to give you guys something to think about. So uh, well, that that kind of comes into to the idea that, that God is sovereign over his own creation. Right. So Exodus thirty three nineteen, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And then Paul quotes that in uh, Romans 9, 9 there. Yeah. So it, it, it's it's the idea that, that God can do whatever he wants. Yeah. Because he's God. Absolutely. <laughs> because we're the creation. Um, we're, the, we're the creation. He's the creator. Do you want to talk about some passages that talk about God's sovereignty real quick? Uh, I mean, if you want to, go for it. All right, I'm just going to read some to you. Psalm 115, 3. Our God sits in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Whatever he wants. <laughs> Whatever he wants. However he wants. Um, Isaiah 
46, 9 through 11, uh, verses 9 and 10 basically are God talking about the fact that he is God. There's no one like him. And he says, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose, Mm. calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Right. That's what it means to be sovereign. Um, did you hear me say, say preach it? You know, I'm trying to, trying to get out of my frozen shows as a Presbyterian. Thing, <laughs> yeah, trying to show yeah, a little yeah. bit of emotion I here. I like it. I little, like little, it. Uh, Pretty soon you're going to raise a hand. Dude, my hands have been up all day. All day. All day. I've been like Moses. All day. Dancing through the aisles much? No. Speaking in tongues yet? No. no okay. okay. <laughs> no. What, what, well, let's keep me talking about Calvinism either. here. <laughs> me either. Uh, one more I want to read. Daniel all right. 4.35. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heavens and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Right? So we can't stay his hand. We can't say my plan is better than yours. Like whatever God has a comp- or a purpose to do, he's going to accomplish. And then we can't even question him. We can't even say, what have you done? Like why, why would you work this way? We're going to talk about that more as well when we get back to Romans 9. So anyway. Sweet. Cool. What's next? Uh, limited atonement. Or <clears throat> as they like to say. Particular atonement. Particular redemption. And that what is particular redemption? Particular redemption is the doctrine that God has set out to redeem a particular people to himself. So his atonement on the cross was not for every single person that has ever existed, that is existing today, and that ever will exist, but for the elect that he has called to himself. Right. <clears throat> so you got Matthew one twenty one where... Um, the angels are talking about Mary and bearing Jesus. And it says she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So that, that right there says particularity. Um, and, and then you've got others. There's, there's a passage in Hebrews, which I did not write down and I'm kicking myself, but it talks about he died for the sins of many. Hmm. Um, that's also in Matthew. That's also in Matthew. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, what else you got? Um, yeah, there's a passage in John six as well yes. that I'm yes. that I'm looking for, and I think John ten. Um, I'm looking for it right now. I'm not seeing it, but basically saying that um, you know no one comes to the Father unless he, or no one comes to the Son unless he is drawn by the Father. Um, so you have that idea of particular particular redemption, uh, and then you also have I think it's John ten, maybe later in John six as well, where it says that or where Jesus says, "I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must go call them else also." Right. So he has other sheep not of this fold. He's here to bring those sheep to himself. Right. The shepherd or the sheep know the shepherd's voice. Um, so this whole idea that there's a particular people that God is calling to Himself. Um, so. Immediately when we talk about this doctrine, um, people start raising their hands and saying, but, 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 and we're going to get to some of those uh, towards the end as well, uh, some of the objections that might come. Did you so. talk about uh, John 10? I referenced it, but okay. go ahead I'm, go I'm just going to go ahead, ahead and read this. Um, the unbelieving Jews demanded of him, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not a part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So there you've got Jesus plainly saying, you Pharisees are not part of my flock. 
you are not my sheep, you will not be washed by my blood. Hmm. What pat or what verses? Were that was uh, John 10, 24 through 29. 24 through 29. There's a verse in there that we're going to talk about as well when we get to preservation of the saints. Okay. Um, you want to move on? Yeah, let's let's keep going. I know we're going quick. We're throwing a lot at you guys. Yeah. Well, again, we just have limited time. Uh, <laughs> like atonement. Uh, <laughs> um, Good, Adam. And, and again, we're just trying. We're just trying to put a stone in your shoe. Maybe some of you guys are would say you're Calvinist, but there are certain things you're trying to work through as well. Hopefully, this will be a help for you. Uh, next one: irresistible grace. Well, I just want to talk about a couple more verses. Okay, go sorry. Ahead. So back um, to limited atonement. Yeah, I know. I just it, it's because <laughs> I was looking for the verses that I wrote down. I couldn't find them. So this this just talks about how Jesus is dying for the sins of many people. So this is uh, Matthew twenty twenty eight. Mm-hmm. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Matthew twenty six twenty eight. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down the life for his sheep. Okay, so, you, so you've got this idea of many, his sheep, particular people, not every single person. Hmm. Um, and again, yeah. I just want to state, that is supported by the whole of Scripture. We're not trying to cherry pick this particular passage right. and say, oh, well, because it says many. Because if, if the rest of Scripture taught Arminianism... You know, you could just say, well, that just basically means that many people are going to be saved, but there's also many people that are not. Um, there's passages that we'll talk about that say, God desires that none should perish, but all should come to repentance, right? So you've got that idea of all, right? And, and we'll talk about those. Right. So what I'm saying is we're not just trying to cherry pick a passage and say, oh, because it says many. We're saying that this is a proof for it because in the context of Scripture as a whole, the doctrine of election and predestination, which are like one of the same thing, are are very clearly explicitly taught mm-hmm. um, and therefore we're able to to use that as a proof for what scripture is already teaching right so. and again if you're if you're concerned if like we haven't thought about this objection or that objection we, we looked up and we looked into a lot of different objections that people have against uh, Armenian or Calvinism most of which I've already made so before when I was exactly so we, we've made these whole <clears throat> things and we'll, we'll try to address those uh, later so hold on to your trousers we'll, we'll get there <laughs> that, that's for those British people listening yeah so irresistible grace irresistible grace what is that adam that is the teaching that if god wants you he has you right that Indeed. no one no one can resist his call i like to call it effectual calling um because you can you can resist graces that's not what we're saying but mm-hmm. what we are saying is that god when he calls you it is effectual that you will become a christian right yeah any uh, scripture for that uh why don't you start so, um, you've got this whole idea of, well, I'm trying to find my, uh, my passages now because I have, I have a lot, but I'm just trying to find some that actually talk about. Well, that. while you're, while you're looking, sure. um, the first place I usually go is back to Ephesians one, mm-hmm. um, where it says, just as I chose you in him before the foundation of the world, right? I'm not there right now, so I'm pretty sure that's right, but that's, that's a lot <laughs> of places. Um, right, uh, that that causing, right, just as I chose you before the foundation of the world, um, meaning that, you know, if God chooses you, you're not gonna, <laughs> you're not gonna say, no, no, I didn't want to. Um, so let me, let me hear it. See, it's right here. Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, right? So the purpose of his will, we've already established that if God purposes it, it's accomplished, right? And so he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. 
Um, what else do you have? Uh, you've got passages in, in Acts, um, Acts 5.31. God exalted him at the right hand as a leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So you've got the idea of God giving repentance, Acts 11.18. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Um, when the Gentiles heard this, this is Acts thirteen forty eight. When the Gentiles heard this, uh, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Right. So again, this is when we talk about irresistible grace. We're not talking about um, people rebelling against God. Right. So, so for instance, I talked about being at the um, gay pride parade. There were a lot of people who were resisting God. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of people who were resisting grace. Um, but once you are regenerated, once you are renewed, you will have faith. Right. God, God gives you that gift of faith. So it's not, it's not even that you would even want to resist right. the grace because it's already been given to you. you your, your will has been changed. Um, your desire for sin has been changed to desire righteousness. Right. And that's, that's something you just said, something that's really interesting to me. Um, if you're out there saying like, oh, well, we choose God by our faith. Right. One thing you need to consider is that what is faith? It's a gift of God, right? It's something that He that He does in you. Right. So it's not of yourself, right? right. So that's Ephesians two eight nine and ten, right? So um, there's a thought there. Right. Uh, any other passages on this? Uh, yeah, but let's keep going because okay. we're, we're running out of time. Um, yeah, perseverance of the saints. Again, I like to call it preservation of the saints because yeah. it puts the emphasis on God's work instead of yours. Um, but what is what is preservation of the saints? Uh, it is that once you are saved, God will keep you in the fold, so you cannot um, sin your way out of out of it. You cannot decide, you know what, I don't I don't want to be a Christian and leave. So you, you do have people who uh, will say that, but I believe it's uh, Paul in First uh, Timothy who says they left us because they were not of us. Right. Um, but you, you've got that idea of. Christ is the author and the perfecter of your faith. Um, it, it's the idea that he will preserve you. He will keep you. He will sustain you right. until the end. Wow. And I hope yeah. you guys can't hear that motorcycle going, going nuts. I think outside. it's a saw. Yeah, it's nuts. Um, yeah, okay. So so once you're saved, you're always saved. We've heard that, right? Right. Um, now, a couple of things that I want to point out. So we talked about John 10, right? That there are um, sheep that the father has given the son and they, he will lose none of them, right? That he has given him. John six says that as well. Um, whoever the father gives me, I will raise them up on the last day and I will lose none of them. Um, you know, Romans says that he who began a good work in you is faithful and will carry it into completion, right? So he started the work. He's going to complete the work. Um, one thing I hear from people all the time is like, yeah, you've been you've been given in the hands of, of the son by the father, but it doesn't mean you can't jump out. Like right. doesn't mean you can't jump out of his hands. But that would make Christ a liar because he clearly he clearly says um, that I will raise them up on the last day. He says I will lose none of those that the father has given me. This is the will of the father that I will lose none of those that he has given me. Right. And then we have that passage saying that he, he began to work and he'll complete a work. Um, any other thoughts on that? Well, uh, yeah, so... Where did that go? I had it right in front of me. Come on, Aaron. Get your act together. Come on, Aaron. So, while well, I'm looking for it, there, it's pouring rain right now, and I don't know if you guys can hear that or not. Um, but it's there, so... Mm, I talked about motorcycle. talked about John 10. I know, you're in trouble, <laughs> buddy. First uh, uh, Corinthians 1, 7 through 9. So that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. 
guiltless in the day of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom we were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Mm. Um, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, so the idea that, that we will not be... Uh... Meh. What? <laughs> I, don't know if that's, I don't know if that's a passage that really works. Um, well... For this particular point. In, in the sense that, like... Um, it's not you're not going to be judged at the end okay so I can, look, yeah. look at all this sin okay so you um david you had an affair and yeah. you were doing so well up until then you're out of here okay no, that makes sense. no yeah. your, your, your sins have been paid for fair enough um so yeah i guess okay excellent um so we just jumped through some of those i know we went really fast i'm, I'm sorry guys yeah but when we when we um yeah we're gonna play a game here but when we come back from that we're going to talk about some objections and maybe flesh out some of these thoughts um, a little more clearly for you rather than motor-mouthing it. So. Right, so let's play a game. All right, let's do Okay, it. so I'm, we're not going to do a would-you-rather All right. because my wife hates those because they're boring, apparently. Someone wears the pants in the family. Um, back off, man. Okay. All right, back all right. off. I love my wife. I'm I just sur- want to I'm see s- you wearing pants. That's I all, always wear pants. Okay, right. When is the last time you saw me wear shorts? I think I saw you wear shorts one time in my entire life. One time. Since we've been... So who wears the pants? You wear the pants. Me. In this relationship right now, who's wearing the pants? I'm wearing shorts. No, yeah, I'm wearing the pants. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, so what are we playing? So. Mary. <laughs> Think of cage fight. All right, so you got UFC fight. Oh. No, 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 no. Stop it. Stop it. Okay. Yeah, I know where we're going. So if this. you had to pick one person from today and one person from church history to fight, hmm. who would it be? Now, it could be a heretic from either, either time period. But but who would you pick and why would you pick them? Hmm. Who's the guy that um, works at Apologia? That uh, Jeff Durbin. Jeff Durbin. Okay. Who yeah. would you put him up against? Who would I put him up against? Yeah. Oh, I have to pick the opponent. Yes. Oh, interesting. Um, John Knox. No, 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 no. This is not how it works. Oh. Okay. You have to pick someone who is orthodox against someone who is a heretic. Oh. Wow. Okay. We don't want any in-house fighting. We want we want the gospel preserved. Does William Lane Craig count? No. <laughs> no okay. William Lane Craig is a Christian. Uh, okay. Um, wow. You no. just you no, just no, no, said no, no, no. in the beginning no, 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 of this no, no, podcast no. you were gonna throw a bunch of shade at Armenians and you just totally threw. Okay. First of all, Dr. William Lane Craig, Craig is a Molinist. That's not. You said the same thing. You said Molinism too. I did, but that's not my beef. That's not my beef, and I don't think he's a heretic. I was just throw that out there. His my beef is with his. Apologetic okay, who, who would you pick? Who would All you right. Pick? Um, Ian, I don't know my heretics very well. Um, I guess that's a good thing. I know. Huh. Servetus. Servetus? Okay. <laughs> no, right. I have no idea. No, I mean, uh, Servetus is a good one. We'll talk not, about Servetus, not, by the way. Not, not Arius. All right. You literally only know two heretics, don't I you? I know two heretics. That's it. That's you it. only know two heretics. I know two heretics. Okay, well, I'm going to pick. I'm going to pick mine. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to take John Knox, and I'm going to put him up against... I don't know if you would classify this guy as a heretic, but I'd put him up against... Uh, Elevation? Um, yeah, what's his name? Stephen Furtick. Stephen Furtick. Okay, because here's the thing. <laughs> Stephen Furtick all of a sudden like got huge. Hmm. Right, I don't know if he was taking steroids or what, but sometimes some things he just says, he just needs to be yeah. gently corrected. So here's and, the thing with, with Furtick. 
Uh, I actually, I kind of like the dude, but I hate everything that he ever says from the pulpit. <laughs> um, like he'll he'll say some like true things, uh-huh. and then he'll just like read so far into what scripture says uh-huh. and just like rearrange everything. And uh-huh. so I have a problem with that. I I don't know if I would call him a heretic. And by the way, I know a lot of heretics, but they're all modern day. You know, so name one: uh, Joel Olstein, Kenneth Copeland, <sighs> Joyce Meyer. Okay, name someone who's not the uh, health, wealth, prosperity. Oh, uh, 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 Benny Hinn? No, he he's counts. health, wealth, yeah. prosperity. Uh, uh, is there any other guy there? Uh, no, I mean, I what about Joseph Smith? Joseph or Brigham Smith. Young? Interesting. Oh yeah, yeah. Or I can go there. I can go there. Uh, who's the JW guy? Joseph Smith. No, that's Mormon. Oh yeah. Whatever. I pick John Knox against Stephen Furtick because right. they're both big guys. This no, John Knox would be before he was John a slave Knox in the gallows. Would destroy him. John Knox was so freaking strong. He could carry a two-handed broadsword with one hand. He would knock the Ugg boots right off of Stephen Furtick so quick. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's who I would pick. Interesting, interesting. Can we like get this on pay-per-view? Can we make this happen? Yeah, dude. So it could be like the Meriwether... Meriwether McGregor. Who's the McGregor guy? Yeah. Yeah, that's what made me think about this question. That'll be another butt shellacking, by the way. Who do you think's going to win? Oh, Mayweather. No way. McGregor's not going to land a single oh, punch. Oh, are you kidding me? not going to land a single no punch. No way. Dude. Have you seen videos of him trying to box? I actually It's haven't. a boxing match. It's not a UFC fight. Okay, whatever. He's going to get destroyed. No way. Meriwether's so old. Yeah, he's it's gonna. It's literally, he's coming out of retirement. This is literally Rocky Five. Bro. Comes out of retirement and loses. He Spoiler just alert. came out of retirement to beat Pacquiao like a year ago. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. So yeah, this, is, this, is, this is Rocky Five. But, 2.0. <laughs> um, okay. All right. So that happened. <laughs> Interesting. That was painful. Interesting. Um, so, you want to talk about some objections? Yeah. All right. Which objections do you want to talk about? Oh, uh, there's, there's quite a few. Uh-huh. Um, let's start off with this. I hear a lot of emotional arguments. Yes. Actually, you know what? Let's not do that yet. No emotion. Let's do, I like it. Let's do, uh, the big three. The big three. So, the big three, for anyone who's, um, not familiar with the works of, of James White, he wrote a book called The Potter's Freedom. And uh, it was a response book to uh, Chosen But Free by Norman Geisler, in which, in which Norman went through and... Dr. Geisler to you. Dr. Respect. Dr. Geisler went through and picked out three, um, three passages from Scripture that he would say would promote the um, doctrine of Arminianism or free will or synergism, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. So what are those three passages? Well, <clears throat> the first one is Matthew 23, specifically verse 37. And this has to do with um, irresistible grace. So this is what the passage says. This is Matthew 23, 37. Red letters. Hmm. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to her? How often I wanted to gather your children together as hens gather her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So you've got that passage which seemingly states that these people were not willing. They were resisting jesus even though jesus desire was to save these people okay so that, that's all well and good until you actually read the whole chapter okay so the whole chapter is about jesus it's it's the woe <clears throat> chapter woe to you scribes hypocrites who blah 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 did this and that and, and the other thing and so it ends with um jesus saying this in, in 37 jerusalem jerusalem who kills the prophets and stones her. so he's saying look it is the religious leaders who have um, tried to stifle the gospel, essentially, have, have tried to keep, keep the people from 
following the Messiah, mm. um, following God, following Yahweh um, in the Old Testament. Um, and, and now they're doing the same thing. <clears throat> so his, it, when Jesus is saying this, he is not saying individual people are resisting me. Right. What he is saying is the rulers of the day are suppressing the truth. Right. Um, so, so much like uh, China doesn't allow, um, you know, legitimate Orthodox Christian churches to be bold and preaching the gospel. And I understand there are churches in China, but a lot of them are underground because China is is trying to suppress that truth. So sure. it, it, it's kind of that idea where it's it's like, how dare you, you religious leaders who should be promoting this, hmm. you are you are hindering it. So, so, so that's yeah. that's the idea. So it's it's okay. not it's not people individually resisting um, God. It's not people who God wants to regenerate and wants to save, but they just won't let him. Right. That, that's not it. Right. It, it's more um, the idea of um, leaders suppressing that truth. Okay. All right. So the next one. I'm getting there. I just got right, there. Right. Jeez. Okay. It's First Timothy two four. And I'm working on flipping there right now. I should just use a computer, but then you can be banging on the keys. All right, so I'll read verse 4, and then you can come back. Okay. Um, okay, 2-4. Yes. Who desires all people... Okay, so I'm assuming it's talking about... Yeah, God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Okay, so this is a shot at limited atonement or particular redemption. Right. Um, and that's like, oh, man, that's a really good thing. But again, guys, what's what is the key? Context. Context is the key. So again, let's start at the beginning of the chapter. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity that is good and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. What, what version are you reading? Uh, this is the Christian Standard Version. Okay. I, I'm reading um, ESV, and I don't know if it makes a difference, but it says rather than everyone, it says all people. Right. So so the ESV, is it's, it's got a more accurate translation, but the um, translators of the ESV are also more Calvinistic. Right. So so this one is <clears throat> actually, I think it's uh, the SBC's. Right. But the key is in verse 2. Right. right. Well, so, so the whole point is that Paul is telling them that you need to pray for all kinds of people because God saves all kinds of people. Right. So when, when the word all is used, it is not, and I don't know the Greek term, so forgive me for that because I'm just this Joe Schmo. Joe Schmo. Joe Schmo <laughs> loser um, who doesn't know the Greek. But, but the idea of all does not necessarily convey every <coughs> single person. Sure. So Paul, talk, Paul uses the word all um, in Titus, but this is right after he says, you know, I exhort you young men mm-hmm. and older women and younger men and younger women to do these things and all that stuff. So it's it's particular groups of people. So I think the ESV has a better translation when it says all kinds of people. Right. So for kings and those who are in high positions, so it's all types of people regardless of your occupational work or your status in the community. Right. When it's all types of people, not just the high ups, not the, not just the plebeians. Right. All types of people. Right. And I mean, this, this again goes back to the, the covenant of grace when God gives this covenant to Abraham. Abraham, because he, he even says, you know, from you, I will elect kings and save um, 
all, all people, all types of authorities. Right. So but the gospel will be carried out until it covers the entire earth the way the, the waters cover the seas. Right. right. So, so a big warning here is don't don't just cherry pick things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to read the, the the verse within the context right. of of the of the chapter of the book and of scripture as a whole. Right. And for me, it's scripture as a whole is the big one here right. because there's so much more that even on its surface points to the doctrine of election. Right. You can, you can, and honestly, you can do this with anything. You can find verses that meet your philosophy. So if you go into scripture, reading it with a particular presupposition saying, I'm going to make this text fit my particular philosophy, Mm -hmm. you can do that. And that's a very poor way to handle God's word. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so not just the passage here, because if you're just reading the first four verses of this chapter, I mean, I could still see you going, well, it still says all people, you know, right. kind of thing. But if you right. read the whole scripture and you understand that like, God's purpose in redemption is to call a particular people to himself, like you can, you can kind of see that. So anyway, um, first Peter two. I'm sorry, Second, Second Peter, Peter. Second Peter oh, three. You're dyslexic. Yeah, no, I'm That's reading cool. it upside down from you. Okay, sideways. It's not upside down. It doesn't matter. Sideways. So this is Second Peter three, verse nine. So I'm just going to read verse nine, <clears throat> and then I'm going to say context is king. Right. So this is Second Peter three, verse nine. As the Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you. Not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Right. So this is another saying that's like, well, look, God, God died for everyone. Right. <laughs> um, again, this is a shot at particular redemption. Like, it, that's not true. Look at this verse right here. But what unlocks context? And the context is he's writing to elect. Key. No, the people. context is key. Oh, sorry. Stop. Stop. I'm, did you want to do this? You, you told me to do this. I thought you were asking what the context. No, if you want to do this, go ahead. I didn't realize you're asking I'll for just a prompt. Sit here just and let you down. do this. Calm I'm down. chill. I'm calm cool, down. calm, collected, man. Go. I'm eating. I'm eating cheese, strawberries, <laughs> chocolate. Mm. All right. I'll, I'll take this one. You can take the next one. How about that? Fine. All right, cool. Go for it. So, so Second Peter three nine. God desires that all should or none should perish, but all should come to repentance. Right. Mm-hmm. The the key is it's written first to elect people. Right. He's re, like Peter addresses his first chapter to those who are elect exiles in dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Right. So elect exiles. First Peter, one, I know, right? and then and then Second Peter, okay. he's also writing. Confirm your calling and election, right? That's the t- that's the title yeah, of chapter one. Mm-hmm. Um, then he's talking about false prophets and teachers. Then he goes into talking about like, hey, the idea that it's been a long time since Christ died and went up and rose and went to heaven. Like he said, he was coming back. When is he, he coming back, y'all? He hasn't come back yet, right? So there's this question going around the church. It's like, well, when is he coming back? Can we really trust his promises? And what he's saying is, don't worry about it. Remember that with Christ, a day is like a thousand years. We know that he's trustworthy. We know that he'll come back. Um, So when I read this passage, again, within the context of Scripture as a whole, understanding that he's writing to elect people, when it says God desires that none should perish, I believe he's talking about elect. None of the elect should perish, but that all that God is calling to himself should come to repentance. Right. I'm going to, if that's okay with you, I'm going to read just the whole just starting in verse 1 of chapter 3. Do, do whatever you want. I'm going to do it. Just do whatever you want. I'm going to do whatever I want. Dear friends, this is now the second letter I've written to you. In both letters, I want to stir up you sincere understanding by way of reminder, so that you recall the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles. Above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, Where is he coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. They deliberately overlooked this. By the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago. The earth was brought from uh, about from the water and through water. 
Through these, the world of that time perished when it was flooded. So let's talk about the flood. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any, any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So everything that you said, true. What he's talking about, he references the flood. He references judgment. Now, from my understanding, there were how many people saved in the flood? Eight. Eight. A, a, a particular set of people <clears throat> who, who were saved. Not everyone, not the whole world, but a particular people. And so what Peter is saying, is, as you mentioned, is judgment is coming. It's going to happen. But God still has elect, mm-hmm. as, as you said from the context. This is written to elect people, about elect people, for elect people. Right. That, that there, there are more people to be saved. Right. And, and um, actually, we can, why don't we just jump into this? So um, another objection is why evangelize? Yeah. And so, so I think this is, this is a perfect springboard into that. So Adam, as a Calvinist, why should we evangelize? If oh, God's going to choose yeah, people. We shouldn't because there's, already shouldn't. Elect, there's elect people. Oh, God's going to save whoever I, he wants. I, I agree. We can just sit around and, and eat chips and, yeah. and watch TV. Do you have any like Doritos? I Anything? don't. I just feel like that would be good I had use. Fritos, but I ate them last night. Good use of our time. Uh, okay. What I always tell people who bring this up is we evangelize because we're told to evangelize. Mm-hmm. Right? God is bringing about a people to himself. But he does it through us as a means, right? So he uses us as a way to proclaim his gospel, right? First um, Peter 2 um, says that you are called to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Romans 10, I believe it is, 14, uh, you know, 10, 10 through 14, something like that mm-hmm. says, how will they know unless they are here? And how will they hear unless they are sent? And how will they be sent unless they go? That kind of thing. So you have that call to evangelism, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. So God uses us as a means to call people to himself. That's, I think that should be a, a great encouragement to us when we realize that like, salvation of someone else that you're sharing the gospel with is not dependent upon how great your delivery was, right. but dependent upon the spirit working in that person to bring them to them to himself. So um, if it were all on me, if it were all on my presentation, that's a lot of pressure and there's no guarantee. And from what I understand of, uh, of the doctrine of total depravity, no one would make that choice to begin with because we're all dead in our sins. Right. So we're called to go and that's why we do it. And that's the means by which God grows his church. Right. Um, so, so another thing that, that we should talk about is that God ordains the ends as well as the means. And mm-hmm. it's kind of what you, you were um, hinting at. Um, just like why, um, why do we preach the word? What God tells us to. God uses that. Mm-hmm. Why, why do we pray? God uses that. Right. Why do we share the gospel with you? Because God uses that. So God uses us as tools to accomplish right. um, his ends. So he elects the ends as well as the means. Right. So the end result as well as how to accomplish that result. Right. That is that is all in God's sovereign plan. Right. He ordains everything. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's one passage that I'm not like super familiar with. Uh-huh. Um, it's like John 3.16 or something like that. Oh, I don't that know that A passage. lot of Arminians use. What is that? Pa- I, I, it's like... I see that at sports games all the time. People yeah, people sign. are just like behind the I thought goal. like 3.16 is his last name. <laughs> Every kicker is like, named John. I was like, who is this Mr. 316? <laughs> right, right. And his 
three his middle name? I don't know. Or is it full his full name? I thought it was like the number of yards. I didn't know people had colons in their last name. Yeah, seriously, it's weird. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. So so John three sixteen, I think it's in the Bible. Let me we look. should probably look it up. Let's see here. Yeah. Oh, it is. Oh I found it. There it is. <laughs> what does it say? So John three sixteen says, For God loved the whole world, and this way he gave his one and only son. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. There you go, man. So everyone take that, who Calvinists. Yeah. We're done. God so loved the world. I, I don't know what else to say to world. this. This is a very... Checkmate. I, I, I'm rethinking my whole life. Man. Okay, we're being mean. Um, <laughs> and I told myself I wasn't going to be mean. Yeah. I but did, I'm, I did I'm sorry. That. Okay, so John 3.16, this is something that... Um, I've thought before, um, other people think, and maybe even you listening are going, John 316, and you're making fun of me, you jerk, and we're sorry about that, because we are jerks. Um, but he, here's here's something I'm going to say. What is the context of John 3? Nicodemus. Nicodemus, right? So Nicodemus was this um, guy in the Sanhedrin ruler. He, he sneaks out at night to talk to Jesus because he doesn't want to be seen by all the other people. He's talking to Jesus. He's like, what do I got to do to be saved? And he's like, and Jesus goes, you must be born again. And he goes, born again? Say, what? How am I supposed to be born again? I've already exited my mother's womb. Yo. He says it just like that. Yeah. Just, At least in my translation. Yeah. You know they actually have like a hip-hop yeah. version of the Bible? Dude, I just can't even call that a version of the Bible. Like, it's I like mean, the message. I, I, dude, the message. Anyway. Okay. So, up. one, Jesus' analogy of being born again is very, very deliberate. So the question that is raised is... Who has anything to do with their birth? Like, you participate in it, but did you decide to be born? No. Did you decide to be conceived? No. Um, being born is completely and totally outside of your control. So you have to bear that in mind when you read John 3.16. And when it says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, um, so that all who believe will not perish and will have eternal life, that that's very good, but that has nothing to do with you or me making any decision to follow Jesus. The context has everything to do with God choosing people to be born again, to, to be elect. Um, and then verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's this has really nothing to do with free will. Um, when someone says, well, what about John 3.16? I say, yeah beautiful it's a great verse but so what well i think it's also noteworthy that uh nicodemus in verse two comes up and says rabbi we know that you are a teacher come from god for no one or for no one can see the signs of these unless god is with him right no one can see these signs unless god is with him so he's stating it and then jesus says truly truly i say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of god mm-hmm. right so you don't even know what you're talking about nicodemus unless you're born again you can't even see the the kingdom right in yeah shut up dummy yeah dummy that's what jesus says yeah so what would you say about the claim that god so loved the whole world um i mean i would agree with that it's his creation he does love it and he sends his his son in there to to redeem his people from it Right. So I, I have I really have no problem with this verse at I all. I, I think that people read in a system yeah. into it. And I mean, okay, Calvinists are guilty of it too because they say, well, this is obviously talking about God so loved the elect. Right. 
Well, that's not really well, what it says. I was going to bring that up because I actually had a friend tell me once that it says, when whosoever believes, it's actually saying all the called ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, I'm like, ah, I don't know about that. Maybe. I don't and know. I mean, again, I don't speak Greek. Maybe it does say that, but okay. I don't I don't think it does. And I've never heard any like really popular um, Calvinist right. speakers say that. So right. yeah. I, I wouldn't go that route, personally. Yeah, I wouldn't either. I would just say God loves his creation, and he's here to redeem it. Yeah. Well, excellent. So, so those are the big three. I want to talk about some other um, things that have been posed to me um, over time. Do what? We talked about the big three. I know. In evangelizing, I said those were the big. But there's a couple other ones I want to talk about. Big five. Big five. Um, so, mm-hmm. we already talked about God wants everyone to be saved. That objection, right? So, Second Peter. Um, yes. Uh, what about the claim that? that doesn't work because God doesn't show favoritism. And if God brings about a particular people to himself and then he's showing favoritism to somebody and non-favoritism to somebody else and God's not unjust. Well, I just put a piece of chocolate in my mouth, so why don't you answer it? <laughs> okay. Um, I want to go to a passage, actually, that um, that was brought up the other day in James. Um, and I'm just going to, you know, rather than flipping through it and trying to find it here, it, it basically says, um, you know, that... There's a rich man that comes into the church, right? And you say, hey, here's a nice seat for you. Um, he's got gold rings and fine clothes. You're like, hey, have a, have a nice seat. Then a poor man comes in wearing raggedy clothes. And you say, sit on the floor by my feet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it talks about, like, are the rich not the ones dragging you into court? Blah, 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 blah. Don't show favoritism. And it says, because God shows no partiality, mm-hmm. right? So I gave you the context there because... It's saying that, like, what is the partiality based on? Like, God doesn't show partiality based on, like, your appearance. He doesn't show partiality because of, like, your status in the community. No. But it does say, like, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, right? Before either one had done good or bad. Before they were born. It was unconditional, right? right? Um, You know, just the fact that Israel was a chosen race— Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what about what about everyone else? Right. Uh, First Peter, you know, is saying that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of His own possession. Right. So, so God has shown favoritism to some people as opposed to other people in a sense, um, but He doesn't do it based upon any merit of your own. Right. Mm-hmm. It's before the foundation of the world. It has nothing to do with you, um, and I think that's an important. Uh, because then you can't go around boasting, saying like, oh, I'm elect, I'm so awesome. Like, no, you had nothing to do with it. You were just as much a wretch as anyone else in this entire world. And yeah, you God, chose, God chose to, to drag, myself included, chose to drag us out of the miry clay and bring us to himself, right? Um, so so don't go around making that accusation. <laughs> um, here's one that I want to talk about. We're well, um, out of time. I don't know how much more you want to This is going. an important one. I okay. want to talk about right. this. Right. Um, if God controls everything, is he responsible for your sin? This is a good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is he responsible for your sin, Aaron? Hang on. I'm eating sausage. <laughs> no. Okay. Oh, you want more? Yeah. Okay. So um, this is where the idea of libertarian free will versus compatibilism come in. So we already talked about God just ordaining the ends as well as the means. He also does this in regards to... Um, human nature and human sin and right. things like that. So the classic example would be Joseph and his brothers, where um, Joseph's brothers hate him because Joseph was an arrogant jerk, and they tried to murder him. No excuse for that, but they tried to murder him and decided not to, sold him into slavery. So we all know the story about Joseph. He ends up rising and becoming second command. Um, his brothers come to Egypt because of the famine, and 
Joseph finally reveals himself and he says, look guys, what you meant for evil, what you did, that was evil. Right. But God meant it for good. Right. So you've got God using people who are doing evil acts to accomplish good things. Right. So God is sovereign over evil and, and he uses it to accomplish his means. Another um, passage would be in Acts when they're talking about um, God predestining or predestinating the, the cross. Right. And that's that's the most evil act in history. Right. So but God ordained God that ordained would... <laughs> that that horrible, horrible act right. to accomplish the salvation of many, 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 many people. And the key is that it's in the sinner's heart to transgress already. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, Isaiah ten five says, Ah, Assyria, the rod of my anger and the staff in their hands is my fury. Against godless nation I send him and against the people of my wrath, I command him to take the spoil, to seize and to plunder, to tread them down like the mire in the street. So God is using the Assyrians um, to, to conquer these nations, right? Um, but he does not so intend, and his heart does not think so, right? So he doesn't know that God's using them. But it is in his heart to destroy and to cut off nations, not a few, mm-hmm. right? So God is using them to carry out his judgment, right? And yet they are still being held responsible for their own actions because it's already in their heart. Um, the example that I that I use is that we believe that there still is a will, right? That it's that you have a, a will, but it's now rather than being a free will, it's an enslaved will, right? So if you put a, a a lion in a cage and you give him a bowl of raw meat and a bowl of salad, like what's it going to eat? It's going to eat the meat every time because that's what's in its nature to do. And in the same way, it, it is with us, right? Which one would a vegan choose? <laughs> no, we don't give vegans food. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, so it, you can only do what's in your nature to do, and that is going to be to sin every time. So you're still responsible for your sin, yet God ordains that sin. He uses it for his purpose, mm-hmm. right? And we can talk about that a lot more. Um, the only other objection that I had offhand was, what about the, the people that seek Christ, but they're not elect? Like, they can't come to Christ if they want to because they weren't predestined to. Um, let me just open up my Bible. It's going to take so long, I can do this in a heartbeat. Okay, well, I started, so I'm going to finish. Right. And action, romance, first, okay. Why don't you do it? I'm, I'm having a hard time. All right, all right. No one seeks God. No oh, one does oh, what no, is good. <laughs> all have turned aside. Uh, so there is no one who seeks this God. This is Romans right? chapter 3. Go for it. No, no. You started. I was just helping you out. Yeah. This is Romans 3 that he's talking about. Yeah. Okay, what then? Are we any better off? Not at all. For all... For we have already been charged, both Jew and Gentile, all are under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And it goes on to say they suck even more. Um, (laughs) So you've got that saying people do not truly seek after Yahweh. They do not truly seek after Yahweh. our creator God. What, what we do see is in Romans chapter 1 where people suppress the truth of God and unrighteousness and they create all types of idols. Hmm. So so there is that idea of, of worship because that's what we're created to do is we're, we were created to worship. Right. But no one seeks the true God to worship unless God has already sought them. Right. That's that's the idea. Amen. Yep. Okay. We need to we need to wrap up because we're, we're way over time. Sounds good. Um, I will not do the church history thing today okay. because we're out of time. I was going to talk about Michael Servetus because anti-Calvinists love that story. <laughs> and I was going to give you guys the whole story. It's basically when Calvin is a part of... Um, of burning at the stake. 
But I may talk about that next week. Okay. Sounds good. For the sake of time, we'll wrap up. Next week, we are talking about creeds and confessions, I believe. Yep. So, or in two weeks, rather, because it's a bi-weekly podcast. It might be three weeks. Three weeks? I'm going out of town. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Next cast will be about confessions. Yep. Okay. Well, remember, every Joe Schmo can reform some mo. Peace. The Bible obviously talks about predestination, so we gotta deal with it. I'll be your fake attorney by his grace and mercy and present my case. So let's take a journey for the sake of learning. First turn to Romans 8, 28 through 30, zooming in on verse 29. Read the first line. Those who ain't foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, exhibit number one. People try to use an argument, lacking common sense, concerning the foreknowledge of God, thinking the logic fits. Dudes are saying he looked out into the future ages with illumination seeking all that with you salvation and those men were chosen by god because they chose him but that's not what the passage has spoken it says those before knew he predestined if he foreknew everybody is everyone predestined is everyone his object of affection if so what's the point of the doctrine of election it's spiritual but let me make it plain so you see the miracle and praise his name instead of taking his grace in vain it isn't complicated we all evaded the god that made us and traded in his truth for a lie, worshiping what God created more than God, who was glorified, corroborated our death, our lives are an abomination, but if the Father's aim is to bestow mercy, then it's not to say that he was obligated, but that God is gracious, is God's enemies, we deserve to be crushed, we're dirty enough to be eternally cursed and turned into dust, and if he did it, he would be perfectly just to murder me, but he decided to show mercy to us, I didn't choose God, God chose me, gave me a new heart, and it wasn't because I was holy, but if I chose G-O-D, then God owes me The only reason I first walked through them church doors Is Psalm 65, verse 4, why do I know God? Matthew 11, 27 says it best in Those that have been predestined Keep pressing, it's a deep message I only see blessing in election I'ma see the blessing, no, it's not even a question How God in his perfection wrote the doctrine of election Yeah, God in his perfection wrote the doctrine of election Cause he's sovereign, there's no question And they got some people stressing But no option but election can account for our protection godly direction nor perfected bodily resurrection yo don't let the thinking of modern men fool ya god does what he wants that's what it means to be sovereign ruler it's deep and not complicated with complete confidence i'll state it peep it it's how god has always operated he's the greatest fam his amazing plan made his hand save the man abraham from a pagan land who can argue with the people that god chooses israel and not egypt peter and not judas humanly speaking it should have been saul and not david the inheritance should have been Esau's and not Jacob. The truth it speaks rightly so you can see rightly. A huge mighty God who chooses the least likely. Still some contested as a phony doctrine. But if we're really dead in sin, predestination is the only option. With reservations they fume inside. This hesitation because it's devastating to human pride. This truth is the sober kind that you're prone to find in past
passages like Romans 9 is so divine, it'll blow your mind. We are the clay and we've been formed by the potter. None can come to the sun unless they're drawn by the father. But God draws everybody. That's what some cats say. It can't be that way because all who are drawn are raised on the last day. Because of original sin and all of our despicable deadness within election must be unconditional then. Some people say that we were drowning in the ocean, barely floating until God threw us the rope then. Our free will helped us as we grow. Our faith is the hand that grabbed the rope and God put us back in the boat. No, without apology, I deny that analogy. Reality, we were dead at the bottom of the sea. I was a swollen corpse with hope no more. Till Jehovah the Lord dove from the shore to the ocean floor. Yeah, I was a corpse and I smelt like it. I'll keep it simple. Why did God choose me? Because he felt like it. He brought me out, not an act of my volition. Breathe life into my lungs and didn't ask for my permission. Throughout the Bible, there's major examples of this. Pages of Passages like the raising of Lazarus Rather than debating the master's gift We should be happily praising his magnanimous saving of savages It's time we see God's sovereignty and his primacy His holy dynasty running things by divine decree Why does he choose some and not others to see Jesus? Our God is in the heavens, he does whatever he pleases